starting to feel like an obituary. I thought I was Mercy. Hi. Oh. It's not Tyler's fault. It's my fault. Sorry about that, Tyler. What do you want me to do? Am I okay? Just keep going? Okay, we'll just keep going. Uh, I am so excited to be here with you. Uh, Pastor Scott's one of my favorite pastors. So, I mean, so much so that when he asks, I'll leave Southern California where it's nice and warm and come to freezing Wisconsin just because he asks, just because he wants me to. I, I, I love him, man. He's the best. Um... I just feel like I, I'm still thinking about those laser rifles. Is anybody else still just, I'm really, when do we do that? Is that in the schedule sometime? Tonight. It is tonight? That's a long time to wait. Okay. Um, yeah, I just feel like I want to share my, my day with you a little bit. I, um, I got to witness a fight on a plane. It was awesome on my way here. I've had a great day. It was, uh, it was really cool. Uh, some dude just thought he should be first off, even though he sat in the very back. Um, and welcome to Chicago, buddy. It, it did not go well for him. Uh, what else? We went to Culver's. I got offered like cheese sauce 19 times. Uh, it was great. Thankful for it. Uh, we, we declined it, but got offered a lot of cheese sauce. So... It's been a good day. I'm, I'm excited to be here, not just for Culver's or airplane fights, but to talk with you about uh, our topic this weekend, which is joy. I'm glad we're not talking about death or something else. Camp death would be maybe a different, different weekend for us. But that's just, these are the things I'm thinking about as I'm back there and Scott's talking. So tonight, I just want to begin our time with uh, a phrase. I think you've heard this before. Some things in life are worth fighting for. You've heard that? Have you heard that before? Some things in life are worth fighting for. I, I wonder what you would say is worth fighting for. If your house is anything like my house, I mean, it's fighting over the last cookie, fighting over you know the best seat on the couch, fighting over who gets to pick the show, that we're watching, or you know, maybe your, your house is different. It's fighting over like bathroom time, or like why your sister takes so long in the shower, or why your brother always thinks he gets to ride shotgun. I don't know, but people fight over all kinds of stuff, but is it worth it? Is that stuff worth fighting for? I have a, a friend who's from the South, real thick Southern accent, and he always wears cowboy boots. I think that's all he owns. Uh, he's a huge Atlanta Braves fan. I'm actually not sure why we're friends as I say that out loud. But he has said to me on many occasions, a dog can beat up a skunk, but is it worth the stink? And that's like one out of 20 things that he's said that actually makes sense. But that one's true. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. What do people fight for and is it worth it? Are we fighting for the right stuff? I don't think you're going to be surprised to hear that most people in our world, despite where you live, it doesn't matter where you hail from, but that most people think that happiness, that personal happiness is the thing worth fighting for. I think that happiness is often associated with, with stuff, like the best house, uh, 
and the car and the right friends and the perfect spouse and the job and the respect that we feel like we deserve. Basically, whatever it is, that's kind of what our world would put on a list that they think that's the stuff that's going to make me happy. And that's the stuff that's worth fighting for. Our world really embraces that. And so my question is this, you know, are they right? Is that, is that it? Is that what should consume our lives as we think about joy and happiness? What about a teenager's life? What, what's, what's on their like personal happiness list? For some of you, it might be grades, not all of you, but for some of you that might be true. It might be being you know, awesome at your sport. That's what you think it is, is like happiness is all about. It, it might be having the right clothes. I don't know why I pointed at you guys. You look great, by the way. Um, maybe that's it. Maybe it's a relationship. It's a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or maybe it's just having friends at all. You get convinced that just like the world believes that those Things in life are the things worth fighting for. Popularity and possessions so often linked to our happiness. I think it's crucial to understand that the problem with a lot of those things is really often us. A lot of the things that we just talked about on that list, there's really nothing wrong with them, good things. But we let those things control us and we let those dominate us. We get consumed with them and that's when they become a problem. Let me add even just another question to this. How should a, a young Christian think about what's worth fighting for? How should a young Christian think about happiness? What, what should be on their list? Christian is, is someone who believes the gospel, that, that Jesus died on the cross for you. You, you believe that his death paid for your sin and you genuinely recognize your sinfulness and you're, you're trying to we use that word repent, but you're trying to turn away from it. You're trying to leave it behind and follow Christ. Instead, if that's you, you're, if you're a Christian, what should be on your list? What, what should you be chasing? What should you be fighting for? Because maybe you notice you kind of have the same temptations, even though you're a Christian, you know, sin is still a problem. You, you say stuff you regret. You think about things that you know you shouldn't. You, you do stuff you wish you could take back. And not only sin, but, but trials find their way into your life. Real trouble and, and hardship. They just can't escape those. And, and joy is something that becomes difficult to find and difficult to hold on to. And so... Sin tempts you to lose the joy that you should have as a believer and you begin to, to fight for the wrong things again. And life keeps coming at you and it causes you to start looking for joy in other places and you start to look for happiness in maybe things in the world again and instead of that relationship with Christ. Maybe you've noticed that you're starting to think a little bit more about popularity than you used to and starting to think about possessions, joy that you had in the Lord at one point, it's beginning to, to not be so joyful and you're starting to feel a little distant from the Lord. 
The reason I want to talk about joy this weekend is because the joy that we're meant to have in Christ is so important. It's so crucial. And when you begin to lose your joy in what Christ has done and your joy in him isn't what it should be, you're, you're in really dangerous territory. You're in a dangerous spot in life. You're not going to be growing spiritually like you should. You're not going to be serving the Lord like you're supposed to be. You're not going to be using your your spiritual gift to build up the church. You're not going to have the testimony that you should. You're you're light for the Lord. It's not going to be as bright as it's supposed to be. When your joy is off, when it's absent, the bottom line is you're not living the way that, that God intends for you to live. So joy in the Lord, it's so important in our our topic over the next few days and and God's word, it has so much to say about it. We're just going to be in in one chapter of Philippians, but there's so much here. And if you'll listen, it'll change your life forever. Joy in the Lord. What should you be fighting for? The answer for everyone is joy, but joy in the Lord. You're Your fight should be for true joy, lasting joy, permanent joy. And that's the kind of joy that Christ offers you in a relationship with him. You're not going to find that joy in grades or in sports. It's not going to be in a car or your closet. You're not going to find it in in that perfect relationship. God reminds us that it's a right relationship with him that gives the kind of joy that all of us are searching for. So are we fighting for the right things? This is what I want to talk about this weekend. Maybe like a big idea for the whole weekend is this, not just any old joy, but joy in the Lord is what I should be fighting for. Grab your Bible, open to Philippians chapter three. And we're going to start in the first couple verses here. Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to be this weekend. God's word says this in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Tonight we're going to start with the connection between our joy and Christ, between joy and, and Jesus. If you're, you're not saved, you won't have this kind of joy that he offers. And if you are a Christian, I want to start here to remind you that you need to think right about your Savior. If you're not experiencing the joy that maybe you once had in a relationship with Christ or you feel like your your joy is off, I would almost guarantee you the problem starts here. That you're not thinking right about who Christ is. You've misunderstood something about your Savior. And as we talk about this joy tonight, I just, I want to point out the obvious in verse one. There's a call for joy. It's, It's pretty hard to miss. Finally, my brothers and sisters are included. Rejoice in the Lord. 
And we're going to start there. We're going to come back to this idea on Sunday morning. But, but notice this. He doesn't just say to be joyful. He doesn't give this direction to these believers here with no explanation. He has a lot to say about it because the believer's joy is at stake. Let me just say again, this is a call to rejoice in the Lord. Have joy, not in the stuff of life, but in Christ. And that's helpful because that means that real joy can only start with salvation. It can only exist where there is true saving faith, a right relationship with God. That begins with Believing what we read in the Bible about Jesus and about the gospel, true joy begins when we know we've been truly forgiven by the one we've offended, by the one we've sinned against. Being made right with God, knowing you're, you're saved from your sin. Listen, you guys, you cannot have joy without that. Psalms 32 verse 1 says, blessed or happy or joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That's where it has to start. Everything else is just a band-aid on a gunshot wound. It's not really going to work. It's not going to give you the joy that you're looking for. But that's just the beginning. If you've truly become a Christian, no matter what age or you know what grade you're in, Christians need to to work at their joy in the Lord. They need to understand it and they need to protect it. They need to work hard at making sure their joy isn't found in possessions or people, not ultimately in relationships with others, but that their joy comes from their relationship with Jesus. We lose joy, like I said, when we don't think right about the Savior. Christ said he came to make our joy complete in John 15, 11. He says he came so that his joy would be in us and that our joy would be full. So we're never going to find joy, true, lasting joy, apart from Christ. This world will tempt you and it'll tell you there's joy to be found in so many things, but God is making it crystal clear right here that true joy is only found in him. Jesus says there's only real joy, permanent joy with me. So as we think about these first opening verses of chapter three, we can learn some, some really helpful truths about this call to joy, this joy in Christ. And we're going to go kind of fast because I, I want to get us uh, through verse nine, maybe verse 11. But I want to keep this idea in front of you tonight of true joy beginning with Jesus, being connected ultimately to, to Jesus. So what can we learn about this joy that we're called to have? Well, it's first meant to be a joy that's permanent. That's number one, the first thing. This is a, a joy that's permanent. Uh, in other words, a Christian always has a reason to be joyful. And that reason never changes. Just think about that for a second. No matter what kind of life circumstances I have in front of me today. If I'm a Christian, I have a, a permanent reason to be joyful. Good hair day, bad hair day, doesn't matter. I have a reason to be joyful. Verse one, he's, Paul writes, finally, my brothers, sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Christian is to be joyful. It's, it's actually a command. It's an order. And you may be wondering, like, why would it need to be commanded? Why 
an order? Well, the answer is because there's always going to be something trying to squash your joy in the Lord. Something trying to minimize it, even completely ruin it. Believers, they need to rejoice. They need real joy, but joy in the Lord. Joy in the unmatched, unrivaled, unparalleled God. The, the Christian has an incredible reason for joy, and this reason never, ever changes. And the obvious reason is that our salvation is fixed. Our relationship with God is, is, is sealed. You, if you're a Christian, if you've put your trust in the gospel, you belong to God, and there is nothing to wreck that, nothing to undo that, nothing to ruin that. Jesus says in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. When you belong to God, I just want to say it again. When you're truly saved, you have a permanent reason to be joyful. Second thing we learn about this joy is that a Christian's joy is protected by thinking right about their Savior, thinking right about Christ. In other words, our joy is directly connected to the truth that we know about Christ, the truth about Jesus revealed to us in God's word. What we know and what we believe about our Savior will absolutely impact our joy. What is Paul getting at in verse 2 with this dog's comment? Well, it's about the dangers of false teaching. That's a, a term that he uses for false teachers. He was identifying their, their dangerous teaching that was trying to convince people that Jesus wasn't enough. That's what all that's about with mutilating the flesh. And he, he just, he's trying to unpack the truth that these guys are not teaching the right stuff about Jesus. They were teaching Jesus plus works. Jesus plus you is maybe even another way to think about it. Doing stuff to earn salvation. Adding works to the gospel, adding you to what Jesus has done will absolutely rob you of joy. And I'll tell you why. If you add works, now so much depends on you. We aren't to trust in anything other than Christ to save us. We aren't to think even for a moment that we can or should add anything to the gospel. Jesus is so enough. What he did for you, you don't need to add to it. It's, it's tough to have joy without that truth because you're going to be too busy trying to keep your salvation you're going to be too worried about sin, too worried about losing God's love if you're involved in your salvation. You're going to be too anxious and overwhelmed about that relationship. Have I done enough? Am I doing enough? Am I finding God's favor? Where am I at with, with God? Have I lived pleasing to God? Those questions will always be there if you're involved in the gospel. And that's a restless and joyless life. And God makes clear to us in the Bible, you're not meant to trust in anything other than what Christ has done to secure your salvation. 
What else can we learn about this joy? Well, number three, this joy grows as my love for Christ grows. Not only do we protect our joy by knowing the truth about Christ, but we grow in our joy by loving him more. Verse three says we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. If you're a Christian, this is who you are. And I know we're going fast, but I, I want to get to the next part. But it, it's Paul's way of sort of highlighting what believers in the Old Testament were all about. Verse 3 is about that. And he's just reminding these Christians now that because of Christ, we don't need the rituals of the Old Testament any longer. We don't need the sacrifices and the ceremonies of how they used to be right with God anymore. That's not what it is. Our confidence now is only in Christ. Our hope is in Jesus. Our future is in him. We're, we're secure because of, of him. And we honor Jesus who's sufficient alone to save us and make us right with God. And we, we glory in, in what Jesus has done for us. He just says there's zero confidence in our own flesh, our own ability. We never think that. Paul's reminding these believers here to keep Christ the priority in their life, to be reminded of that. To never lose sight of what Jesus has done and never think that, that you know, maybe we did have a little something to do with our salvation. Never. Jesus has paid our sin in full. It's done. It's paid for. It's over. And we added nothing. We cling to that, that, that love for Jesus because of what he's done for, for us. And as we do, we protect our joy in the process. So because our joy is in the Lord, you guys, our joy is never going to be connected to how fast your, your Amazon Prime order shows up. It's never going to be connected to that. It's, it's not in how fast you can, I don't know, drink a bottle. That was weird, that whole game. I didn't like it. <laughs> Your joy is not connected to that. A Christian's joy is so much better because it's in the Lord. It's permanent and it's protected by thinking right about Jesus. And when he's the priority and we understand what he's done, our joy grows right along with our affections for him. And we keep him the priority. We spend time with him in his word. We talk to him in prayer. We grow in our faith. And as those things grow and increase, so does our joy. But I want to show you verses four to seven. And another point about this joy is this. We learn this joy is invaluable. Is there some junior hires here? That just means really valuable. You got it. I love junior high, favorite, favorite. Here's Paul's testimony in verse four. This is so helpful. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And you're thinking, 
how is this helpful? What is this? This is just Paul's life. It's his testimony. It just so happens to be a perfect illustration of what he's been saying. Let me explain quickly. The first four things he says, it's all about his privileged Jewish sort of life, his family line. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews. Those are all inherited privileges. That's all that is. He's, he's arguing this one thing. I am from the best family line ever. He is, with that line, has the best opportunities. He has the most exposure to God's law. He's had the best parents for that, the best teachers. He just has an amazing family tree. He's had an upbringing like nobody else. It's incredible privilege. That's all here. And then the last three, still verse five, he says, as to the law, Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, I'm found blameless. Here's what these are. These are personal achievements. This is the stuff that he's done. This is the Paul's way of just saying, look, you can't compete with my training, with my learned knowledge. You, you can't compete with my passion for God's law. You can't, you can't even come close to my obedience to, to what God expects. He's like the like perfect church kid, like all grown up. You guys have Awana at your church? Yeah, he's got all the Iwana badges. I think that's just, I don't know what they are. He has every single one. That's what he's saying here. He's, he's, he's in junior high, he would have sat in the front row. He's, he's taken like excellent notes on every sermon he's ever listened to. In small group, he's the kid who has every answer and it's kind of annoying. Because he also like lives that way too. That's what he's saying here. Paul isn't saying he's sinless, but just like pretty awesome with all the stuff that, that God's law demanded. He's saying, I'm doing pretty good. So what's the point? What is all this, Paul? Verse, verse seven, he says, whatever things were gained to me, what he just listed, he says, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. If there was ever a guy to put confidence in his own ability, in his, in his flesh, in his works, it would be Paul. But he doesn't. Even though he just said, don't do that, he gives evidence of why he could. But the point is, he doesn't. Instead, Paul counts all that as loss for the sake of Christ. His religious accomplishments and his family pedigree. And by the way, those are things that some people in, in Paul's day would say, I would be so happy to have that stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll take that stuff big time. I'd be an amazing source of joy 
So like when we read it, we're like, ah. But in his day, that's really important. And Paul says it's worth nothing. And it's one thing to hear that kind of response from somebody that doesn't have it. Like, yeah, I wouldn't want that either. But he actually had it all and he still says it's not what you think it is. It's not what you would want it to be. It doesn't do what you would think it would do. It's not worth even close to the joy I have in my relationship with Christ. The only thing in Paul's life that's worth boasting in is Jesus. It's not his birth certificate. It's not his training or all the stuff he's done. Paul's treasure is Christ. His greatest source of joy, an obvious choice for Paul, it's, it's Jesus. And he just unpacks that in verses 8 to 11. Verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And this is just his sort of description of his relationship with Jesus. It's what a relationship with Christ is like. Two phrases quickly. I just want to point them out here in verse eight, knowing Christ and gaining Christ. Two important phrases. What is it to know Christ? Well, up front, let's just establish it's way more than just knowing some facts about who Jesus is. Notice that Paul says the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is personal knowledge. This is a a word that describes a personal relationship. I mean, as a youth pastor, just being here, like I have some general knowledge about you, but it's not personal. I mean, I, I know that you guys have a an incredible tolerance for cold because of where you live. That's great. As teenagers, probably not all of you, but most of you like have like a general love for sugar. Just being in here, I, I know some, like I know where you like to sit, but that doesn't mean I have a personal knowledge about you. I have two Teenagers in high school, one in junior high, when I, when I think about them, like I have way more personal knowledge of them. My oldest son, who's a freshman in high school, like I know him personally. I know what he thinks is funny and what he doesn't. I know what he likes and what he doesn't like. I know where he keeps his toothbrush. I know when he's texting a girl because he gets all quiet and weird. I know him personally. And that's what that phrase means. That's what Paul's talking about here. If you're a Christian, you know him. You know Jesus. And and Jesus helps us understand in John 10, he says this, the sheep, talking about believers, he says they hear my voice. He calls his own sheep by name, leads them out. The sheep follow because they know his voice. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and they know me. Not just facts, not just information, but a personal knowledge. 
This is knowing Christ savingly. You know him as your Lord. Paul says that he has joy in, in knowing him, and, but also joy in, in this reality that he's gained Christ. Paul thinks of all those Awana badges and trophies and all his achievements and all the privileges that his family got him, and he just he throws them away, chucks them in the garbage can. They're worth nothing compared to gaining Christ, the invaluable joy of gaining Christ. In other words, for Paul, there isn't anything better than this relationship with Jesus. Having a relationship with Christ, knowing him savingly is better than anything else in the whole world. And I just want to say it again. That's the testimony of someone that many would have said about his life, dude, I will trade you in a hot second for the things that you have. And he's saying they're not worth it. Pitch them compared to knowing Jesus. For Paul, that stuff wasn't worth anything compared to Christ. He wanted Christ more than, than everything. And, and I just think it's helpful. We, we learn so much from that attitude. What Paul helps us understand here, that stuff and the, boy, the, the accomplishments, even the Christian stuff, looking good and, and doing good and trying to earn God's favor all the time, that stuff is not what Christianity is all about. This is having a real relationship with Christ where you know him personally and you've gained him. And, and that knowledge is amazing. And Paul helps us here that to gain Christ is, is everything. It's so much more important than being famous, popular, so much better than I don't know, anything you could possibly dream up. The joy that you're chasing in the world. Paul's saying this is so much better. Joy in knowing that Jesus has saved you. It's unlike anything else you can find. Jesus says in Mark 8, what does it profit somebody to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Paul's saying the exact same thing. Let me ask you again, what are you fighting for? What are you pursuing? Where are you finding joy? Maybe you have everything you want. I just would ask, you know, are you feeling satisfied? Do you feel strangely in need of something else? Something bigger, something newer, something better, just not quite satisfied. Listen, there's only one thing that will satisfy you, and that's what we're talking about this weekend, and it begins right here. There is real joy, but it begins with this relationship with Christ. He is the only thing that will give you the kind of joy that you're looking for. Paul says in verse 9, and we'll just close with this, 
to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Why is Jesus more valuable to Paul than anything? Because he knows his sin is forgiven. He knows he's covered in the righteousness of Christ instead. Listen, you guys, that's how we should want to be found also, knowing that when we stand before God as a Christian, that the righteousness of Christ, which we could never attain on our own, gets credited to us. We get to claim it. We can confidently stand in his presence knowing that Jesus will say, I died for him. Her right there, her her righteousness, my righteousness is hers. To hear Jesus say that. Not standing there with like, I don't even know what it would be like, just pockets turned out. Like grabbing lint off our pockets. That's what our works would be like. Like, oh, here's one. This one time I did a nice thing for my mom. Here's another one I didn't punch my brother in the face one time. Is that good for anything? No, it's 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 awful. Read this great sentence. Our attempt to be found in our own righteousness is like Adam and Eve's attempt to cover themselves with those horrible little fig leaf outfits. That's what it's like. But when we're covered in the righteousness of Christ, we're fully dressed and we're covered by God instead. That little fig leaf outfit, that's what it's like to stand there in our attempt to earn salvation on our own. Pathetic and weird, too. In Christ, we will not be found like that. And this is Paul's whole point. In verses 10 to 11, he testifies to the power of God working in his life. And we're going to talk more about that a little bit tomorrow. But just he's saying... God's changing his desires and how much he wants to be like Jesus. He's growing in his relationship with Christ and it's so joyful from him. And he says from personal experience, this joy lasts. This joy is real. I want you to have this joy that I have. I want you to rejoice in the Lord. That's what Paul's aim is. If you're not a Christian, you should be. And if you are, the command is really the same. Rejoice in the Lord. It's a joy that's worth fighting for. Father, thank you for this rich, rich truth. Thank you for giving us your word. God, that helps us understand the truth about you and the truth about ourselves Help us to see the value of knowing you, of truly knowing you, the value of of living for you. Lord Jesus, help us to fight for the joy that's only available in you. Pray these things in your name. Amen.